MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. Today, oil drops below a zero. Judge Reggie Walton is reviewing the unredacted Mueller report. I'll speak to Frank Fugluzzi about Trump's acting DNI declassifying footnotes from the Department of Justice Inspector General report on the Carter Page FISA. Large businesses drained the Paycheck Protection Program meant for small businesses. Trump's COVID testing czar has a shady past. The GAO is conducting coronavirus oversight. And our own Department of Justice has removed antitrust concerns for makers of hydroxychloroquine. I'm your host, A.G., and I'll be joined today by Jordan Coburn. Hello, it's AG. I am here doing solo work today. Um, usually Jordan joins us for the A block. We're just going to have her in the good news block at the end of the show. Uh, it's going to be a really good show. It's got it's pretty beefy. It's got a lot of stuff in it. Um, and we've got a great interview with Frank Fugluzzi coming up in the C block. We're going to talk to him about this uh, new release. You know, I mean, you you remember Trump saying that uh, uh, in one of his press briefings that the FBI was full of, you know, foul, horrible people and just bad mouthing the FBI. And I was like, what is causing this? Is it because Reggie, Reggie Walton's going to be going over the Mueller report on Monday or is it something else that, you know, I'm not thinking of? But I, I think it has to do with the release of this um, particular, these these previously classified footnotes. And we're going to discuss what those footnotes are and w- what it means. And if it's important, it's not. And uh, we, it's it's really great to, to be joined by Frank later in the show for that. Um, again, let's see what else is happening. Thanks to our patrons, our premium subscribers. If it were not for you, we would not be able to continue to pay our employees. We're going to talk about the Small Business Association and their Paycheck Protection Program a little bit later in the show and who actually got that money and who's benefiting. Um, some people have actually started to give it back because they realized they fucked up and, uh, you know, they got a lot of public backlash. Uh, for for taking it in the first place, uh, which I suppose is good, um, but that loophole shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, and um, just a ton of news. Um, really, really great reporting from Adam Klasfeld today uh, on um, some hydroxychloroquine antitrust issues being removed uh, for for uh, a few uh, pharmaceutical companies. So that's going to be, a, that's really interesting reporting. I, I suggest you check out Courthouse News and follow Adam Klausfeld if you don't already. We do have a lot of news to get to. Uh, so let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So let's start with uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo and his briefing today. He said 478 people had died in New York. Uh, That is the first time the one-day toll was below 500 since April 2nd. So it's been 18 days since uh, the toll, death toll, has been over 500, and it went below 500 today. New York will test 3,000 people for antibodies to the virus starting today. Mr. Cuomo said, this is good. I've been talking about this for a while because I know that we have those not-yet-peer-reviewed studies coming out of South China that are saying, you know, only a third of the people that we tested had an, um, 
well, a third of the people we tested had little or no antibodies, and that it was it could be correlative with age, that young people aren't developing antibodies. People who are older and seem to be hit more with symptoms had developed more antibodies. We need this information to find out, you know, how we can move forward. We, are, we shouldn't be opening anything back up. And as we know, um, the, the mayor of Jacksonville reopened the beaches there. Uh, and he's facing some backlash after those photos went viral. Nobody was wearing masks. Everyone was, no one was doing social distancing. No one was practice, practicing social distancing. We have Kemp in Georgia, who is tomorrow going to open up bars and restaurants and uh, nail salons and gyms and retail stores. And, and, and it's just absolutely getting to the point where you need to have these antibody tests in order to know who to send back to work, or you can't even meet the gating criteria for phase one of Trump's own plan to reopen the economy. So I'm not even sure. They, they've only had two days. Of, you need to have 14 days of, of decreasing new cases, and they only have two days. So they aren't even meeting the, those criteria. Uh, and it's just so dangerous. I, I can't believe that I can't believe it's happening. Um, but anyway, those who test positive for antibodies to the virus are believed to have had it and recovered. Some states have said that such people could be among the first to return to work. Uh, quote, this will tell us for the first time what percent of the population actually has had the coronavirus and is now, at least short term, immune to the virus, Mr. Cuomo said. This will be the first true snapshot of what we are really dealing with. I do want to mention, though, it is important to note that there might have been people who had the virus who will test negative for antibodies. Uh, just like we said, there's been some pre-peer-reviewed studies that are showing some people had no antibodies after having tested positive. We do not know if they were false tests for positive. They got false positives on their on their first coronavirus test. Or if they had the disease, didn't develop symptoms, and because they didn't develop symptoms or because they're below a certain age, we don't know any of this, by the way, uh, that they didn't develop antibodies. And And so to assume that You'll know who had it because of who has antibodies. I, I don't know that we want to go forward with that assumption. Uh, I wouldn't personally. The state labor department said on Monday it had fixed the, the New York State Labor Department. It had fixed the problems that hampered the ability of 700 recently laid off workers to obtain unemployment benefits. That's a new story that Cuomo covered today. Covered today, the 700 were the only ones left out of roughly 1.2 million applicants who were having lingering trouble getting assistance. Amid the pandemic, a department official has has said New York Governor Cuomo also said Monday that hospitals, schools and local governments will face 20 percent cuts in state aid if the federal government fails to include more funding in the next coronavirus stimulus package. Cuomo said he is worried about empty promises from Washington, D.C. Quote, you can't spend what you don't have. You would be cutting schools 20 percent, local governments 20 percent and hospitals 20 percent. Um, that's about, you know, the state being able to fund infrastructure. You can't if you don't get any uh, assistance from the federal government. Cuomo also added, quote, now federal government has said from day one, don't worry, we're going to provide funding to the states. Yeah, don't worry. But I am worried because I've heard this over and over again. And he should be worried. Um, It was supposed to be in the last stimulus in phase three. It wasn't. It is not going to be in phase four. Trump says we're going to hold on to that and use it at a later, a later date. I don't know what for. Um, it just seemed 
bribey when he said it that way. Um, but yeah, uh, to, to go back to talking about some of these governors and, and mayors just reopening shit before they even meet the gating criteria for phase one of the White House's own and the task force's own criteria for reopening their government. The mayor of Jacksonville is defending his decision to reopen the beaches. Um, that's after those you know, photos of crowds went viral over the weekend. And the South Carolina governor also uh, is saying he's going to reopen public beaches and retail stores as well today. And also in the news today, and this is big, and this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier from Adam Klasfeld at Courthouse News. Despite recent studies of hydroxychloroquine showing the drug has no impact on the coronavirus, but cases, you know, but causes heart problems like arrhythmias and death in some cases, the Department of Justice just cleared antitrust hurdles standing in the drug's way. From Courthouse News, quote, pharmaceutical wholesaler Amerisource Bergen has requested a green light as part of the initiative to distribute hydroxychloroquine from the national stockpile to communities ravaged by the novel coronavirus. As we all know from previous public reporting, Trump, Giuliani, John Solomon of the Ukraine clown posse, um, and, of course, the White House task force had been pushing hydroxychloroquine really hard. And Marcy Wheeler posited, we were thinking it was for profit. Marcy Wheeler said, well, these are tr- cheap drugs. People are donating them. But if it's not for money, it could be for Trump's reelection efforts because, you know, he could he could uh, without any outcomes with ambiguous data at best he could say it was the miracle drug and it worked and look at how many lives it saved without pointing at any numbers because we don't have correct numbers because there's no testing but we do know about a french study that found the drug produced no significance different significant difference in the death rates of people who had coronavirus and that um, there was a study that was halted early in brazil because of the dangers of the drug uh, people who were on higher doses 600 milligrams were dying of a regular heartbeat and heart failure and researchers have found that, you know, these patients on, on higher doses were developing arrhythmias. And it turns out Amerisource Bergen wrote to the Justice Department, the same the, and the Justice Department wrote back the same day that French study was published. Um, and they were writing to get relief from antitrust enforcement procedures. But basically, they want to be able to monopolize this drug or, you know, f- price fix with it. I mean, there's a lot of things to antitrust. But, you know, they wanted to work with other pharmaceutical companies about how to distribute this particular drug. Dr. Dina Grayson, who researched, worked on research for antivirals for the Ebola virus, and and she's a former Democratic congressional candidate. She says, again, if the idea here is let's stockpile drugs in case it works, we can always stop the stockpiling. If that's the case, fine. But then why isn't there a big push to start stockpiling drugs that look more promising? The only thing I can come up with is because Trump is on the bully pulpit. And for whatever reason, it's become this like wherever a treatment has become politicized, um, like this is where a treatment has become politicized about whether or not it works. Either it works or it doesn't based on data and evidence. Um, And so to her point, there are several COVID-19 treatments in the clinical trial phase that are actually antivirals instead of antimalarials or antibacterials. But the Department of Justice letter Uh, you know, clearing the gateway, clearing the antitrust uh, obstacles is only about, it only mentions hydroxychloroquine. And uh, the official, by the way, that the DOJ that um, replied to the request for Amerisource Bergen, this this person who replied, he's the assistant attorney general. His name is Makan Del Rahim. He has previously asserted that monopolies should be legal until they abuse their power. And he uh, was previously accused of playing politics when he unsuccessfully tried to block the AT&T Time Warner merger, which was probably at the behest of Trump and his vendetta against CNN. As we know, AT&T also 
uh, gave millions and millions of dollars to Essential Consulting, fucking Essential, which was sort of a, it was sort of a, it was basically a slush fund. It was basically a, a bribe tank. <laughs> like, my name's Michael Cohen. I've got access to the president. If you want to bribe him, send me your money. I'll call me a consultant. High five. That's sort of how that happened. AT&T really wanted this merger to go through. Uh, it did. Um, and, of course, um, he tried to block this. And Amer- so let's talk then about Amerisource Bergen, right? They've been sued hundreds of times before coronavirus was a thing. They've been sued hundreds of times over their part in the opioid crisis. Uh, public officials in West Virginia, Oklahoma, and two counties in Ohio have accused Amerisource for exacerbating the abuse of op- opioids. And the Washington Post reported last year that Amerisource, along with McKesson and Cardinal Health, uh, were controlling 85% of the opioid market. All three companies, that sound like a monopoly, sound like something antitrust law should probably take care of. All three companies settled last fall for $215 million. And earlier this month, the Department of Justice signed off on a letter basically allowing McKesson and Cardinal Health to collaborate on COVID response without antitrust concerns as well. So getting the three amigos back together again, no antitrust laws will befall them. So basically Trump's Department of Justice is lifting antitrust laws on these pharmaceutical companies working together on hydroxychloroquine so they can't be held liable for cornering the market or price fixing or whatever they would, you know, whatever they're worried about, whatever law they're worried about breaking, uh, whatever antitrust parts they're worried about breaking. So that's going on. Um, Check out uh, Courthouse News and Adam Klasfeld if you don't follow him already. Really interesting stuff. We'll be right back with more news right after this break, including the big issues with oversight for the Paycheck Protection Program in the Small Business Association. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with their air purifier. Global air pollution is worsening, and over 80% of people living in urban areas are exposed to air quality below World Health Organization standards. According to the EPA, indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air. Most of us spend around 90% of our time indoors, (laughs) probably a little bit more these days. Uh, Today's predominant air purification technology, the HEPA filter, was invented during World War II and hasn't been updated in 70 years. These outdated filters try to trap pollutants but can't reliably capture extremely small particles and have no effect on gaseous pollutants, while mold, spores, and viruses can remain viable on the surface of the filter. Molecule has completely reinvented air purification. Their core technology was developed to destroy indoor air pollutants at the molecular level, removing them from the air you breathe. Developed over 20 years by the Director of Clean Energy Research Center at the University of South Florida, Molecule's patented filtration system and proprietary photoelectrochemical oxidation technology, that's PECO, can break down pollutants to their basic harmless components. Molecule eliminates the bacteria, mold, viruses, and most microscopic pollutants. Um, volatile organic compounds called VOCs, many of which are known carcinogens that concentrate in indoor air and negatively affect our health. Traditional filters only collect larger pollutants, but smaller ones like tiny proteins from pollen grains that are responsible for seasonal seasonal allergies can slip right through. And molecule air purifiers destroy these tiny particles, leaving behind truly clean air and eliminating allergens from your home. Since molecule launched, we've heard hundreds of stories from parents, pet lovers, and severe allergy asthma sufferers about how molecule technology has transformed their lives. So for 10% off your first air purifier order visit m-o-l-e-k-u-l-e.com and at checkout enter daily beans that's 10 percent off at molecule.com promo code daily beans hey everybody welcome back uh here's a lead from the washington post today it says uh brett gerjoir ger, 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 
like Gruer. <laughs> Brett. I'm going to call him Brett. Admiral Brett. That's the federal official overseeing coronavirus testing efforts, says that his experience working on vaccine developments projects at Texas A&M University helped prepare him for this historic moment. He once said that his vaccine effort was so vital that the fate of 50 million people will rely on us getting this done. But after eight years of work on several vaccine projects, Garor was told in 2015 he had 30 minutes to resign or he'd be fired. His annual performance evaluation at Texas A&M, the local newspaper reported, said he was more interested in promoting himself than the Health Science Center where he worked. He got low marks on being a team player. So this is the guy that Trump's put in charge of ending the COVID-19 testing shortage. And now he's the testings are now he's in the hot seat as Republican and Democratic governors alike continue to sound the alarm bells that they do not have the testing they need and they don't have the equipment they need or the PPE they need to don in order to give the tests to fight the outbreak, let alone thinking about opening up businesses. Um, they, you know, we, we have to one of the criteria, gating criteria for getting to phase one of reopening your economy as a state, which is now the responsibilities of the governors, because Trump likes to pass the buck that way, is that you have to have 14 continuous days to get to phase one, 14 continuous days of a decrease in the number of new cases. How can you do that if you don't have testing and how can you have testing if the federal government isn't helping you get it? Um, during two recent interviews with The Washington Post, uh, Brett blamed his ouster at, at Texas A&M on internal politics at the university, not on any problems with the project. Uh, Brett has promised that tens of millions of serology tests will be available within a few weeks um, that enable people to determine whether they've had the virus. He, he's promising tens of millions within the next uh, few weeks. That's his promise. And thousands of traditional small businesses were unable to get funding from the Paycheck Protection Program before it ran dry last week. We know about this. We've heard about this. They ran out of that $349 billion. I've been talking about how Republicans are being, they're griping that, you know, the Democrats want to add money for the states and uh, testing stuff and vote by mail stuff and, and, and funding for the post office to this additional Small Business Association Paycheck Protection Program funding. Uh, but they, sh- you know, if they really cared about it, then they would have approved the original $500 billion that the Democrats proposed instead of talking them down to $349 billion. But anyway, I digress. The money is gone. But as Congress and the White House near a deal to add maybe $300, $350 billion to the program, some are calling for additional oversight and rule changes to prevent bigger change, bigger, excuse me, bigger chains from accepting more money. The problem here is the fund was drained by large businesses. For example, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, a chain that has 150 locations and is valued at $250 million, reported receiving $20 million in funding from the small business portion of the economic stimulus legislation called the Paycheck Protection Program. Then there's Potbelly, which is a chain of sandwich shops, which has more than 400 locations and valued at $89 million. They got $10 million last week. Shake Shack. A $1.6 billion burger and fries chain based in New York City also got $10 million. After complaints from small businesses, small business advocates uh, when the fund went dry, company founder Danny Meyer and chief executive Randy Garuti announced Sunday evening they would return the money, the Shake Shack money. We'll give that back. They said they had no idea the program would run out of money so quickly. So they understood the uproar. Not, sorry, we're a $1.6 billion publicly traded company. Here's your money back. No. Oh, we didn't realize it would run out of money so quickly. In all, more than 70 publicly traded companies have reported receiving money from the program, according to filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. 
Senator Rick Scott, Republican from Florida, criticized the program, saying the companies that are not being harmed at all by the coronavirus have the ability to receive taxpayer-funded loans that can be forgiven. I'm concerned that many businesses with thousands of employees have found loopholes to qualify for these loans meant for small businesses. Unfortunately, when it comes to the PPP, millions of dollars are being wasted. But, not to be uh, outdone, Bible thumper Senator Marco Rubio from Florida, chairman of the committee overseeing small businesses, lucky us, addressed a criticism Monday morning on CNBC saying the hotels and restaurants are some of the first and hardest hit companies and that many of their locations are owned by true small businesses or individuals. Some of the companies receiving money are clients of J.P. Morgan Chase, adding fuel to the criticism that Wall Street banks had helped their clients obtain, cheat, cheat, find their loopholes and obtain these large amounts. The bank put out a statement uh, Sunday saying that it is proud to have secured more funding for small businesses than anyone else in the industry and that 80% of its PPP loans have been for businesses with less than $5 million in revenue. J.P. Morgan explained that larger companies may have been served more quickly because its commercial banking unit, which serves larger clients, was able to complete most of the applications it received, while many more applications poured in from traditional small businesses. So how the fuck did this happen? The PPP program was intended to benefit workers at businesses and nonprofit employers with fewer than 500 employees that are unable to credit, obtain credit elsewhere. According to the Small Business Act, at least, which is what formed the basis of the program, but after intensive lobbying by the restaurant and hotel industries during the weeks leading up to the passage of the $2 trillion CARES Act. Oh, is that it? Was it fucking lobbyists? No, surely you don't say. Congress allowed separate subsidiaries and locations to apply as businesses, even though they were part of a national or international chain. So Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is like, well, the Ruth's Chris down on uh, Main Street in uh, Nowheresville, Oregon, they only have 17 employees. So... Ruth Chris should get $10 million to distribute among their restaurants as they see fit. Anyway, I know a lot of small businesses that were shut out because they ran out of they ran out of funding so quickly because everything was gobbled up by JP Morgan and Chase's giant fucking massive department of people who can make these applications and securing millions and millions of dollars for publicly traded companies. So multiple Ruth's Chris locations could apply under separate entities, even though the parent company employs 5740, 5,740 people. Other industries and advocates lobbied against affiliation rules as well, including the private equity industry. Hotels with three-quarters of their rooms empty and nearly four million people out of work have also been taking advantage of the program. Philadelphia's Hersha Hospitality Trust and Condor Hospitality Trust, a Maryland-based owner of 15 hotels in eight states, reported last week they had applied for loans. Meanwhile, we couldn't. We have one, two, three, four, five five employees. And a lot of these CEOs are taking making millions of dollars. The Ruth's Chris CEO, 6.1 million, I think. I'll have to look it up. CEO of Daily Beans makes the same as the non-CEO. So um, this, this story, as you can tell, angers me a little bit. 
Uh, I want to know who's responsible for that loophole. I hope that the GAO, who I'll talk about here in a minute, is going to look into that. We do know Trump fired the inspector general of the Pentagon, who was nominated by all the other inspectors general, to be in charge of how the coronavirus stimulus package was spent, to be you know provide oversight of that. Did no, did no Congress people see this loophole? The lobbyists battled to put it in. Were the Democrats forced to agree to it? Otherwise, they'd be blamed for blocking it. Anyway, in other news, oil prices tumbled. I suppose that's a little schadenfreude as the economic crisis set off by the coronavirus pandemic continued to destroy the demand for energy for oil. And as concerns grew that storage tanks in the United States were near capacity and unable to hold all of the unused crude. I found some information in the New York Times explaining how oil can trade for less than zero. (laughs) I was wondering how it went negative. But basically, a benchmark for oil, uh, it's a benchmark for oil that will be delivered next month. And that went negative, meaning it was essentially deemed worthless, suggesting people who had oil to sell were willing to pay to pay for it to be taken off their hands next month. Oil that is scheduled to be delivered in June, more reflective of the market's view on what the value of crude is right now, also fell, sliding 16% to about 20 bucks a barrel. So it's not good either way. The problem is the United States is running out of places to store its oil. And according to the New York Times, oil is already being stockpiled on barges out at sea and in any nook and cranny companies can find in their storage facilities. Now, traders are worried that even this space is running out. Under future contracts, under futures contracts, West Texas Intermediate, the American oil price benchmark is delivered to Cushing, Oklahoma, but investors are worried that there will be no place to put it there. And a lot of folks on social media seem to think that the full unredacted Mueller report was supposed to be out today. This is, we, we're moving on from the oil. Sorry, weird segue. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a bunch of people saying, ooh, are you guys excited? The Mueller report's coming out today. Unredacted Mueller report. I'm like, no, no, it isn't. And uh, some folks argued with Mueller, she wrote on that. Um, but here's what happened. We, we all know what happened. We're all very savvy folks. Um, back in March, Judge Reggie Walton said, I want to see the full unredacted Mueller report. Give it to me. You have until March 30th. And they did. The Department of Justice delivered the full unredacted Mueller report to him on March 30th. Judge Reggie Walton, a Bush appointed judge, but very good judge. He's been uh, he's been very critical of Bill Barr and his handling and mischaracterization of the Mueller findings. So here we have Reggie Walton, and he says, oh, coronavirus concerns. I can't review this in camera. In camera means in private, not publicly. I can't review this in camera right now. The courts don't reopen until April 20th. That's when I'm going to begin the review in camera of the unredacted Mueller report. So today is when Reggie Walton was set to begin his, uh, you know, behind-closed-doors review of the unredacted Mueller report. I have not heard still... If that is happening today, if the courts are back in operation, if they're not, I haven't heard of a postponement yet, uh, at least not since I've started recording. I will keep you posted on this, Uh, but there is some stuff you should know. All the stuff that's been redacted from the Mueller report for grand jury materials, Rule 6E, we're never going to see that. 
And that's probably where the juiciest stuff is. So I don't want you to get your hopes up too much about what might come out of the redacted portions of the Mueller report. More likely, I think what we'll hear is if anything was inappropriately redacted, we could hear about that and and rebukes of the Justice Department um, from Judge Reggie Walton, if that's the case. That's probably more along the lines of what would come out. I could be completely wrong. Uh, but that's where my beans are. So I just wanted to let everybody know about that. And from Kyle Cheney at Politico, Congress's independent in-house watchdog, and this is I was talking about a little bit earlier, this is the GAO, Government Accountability Office, is preparing a blizzard of audits that will become the first wide-ranging check on Trump's handling of the sprawling national rescue effort. Um, that's the stimulus. The good news here is that although Trump has fired a lot of the executive branch inspectors general, including the, like the one I said that was uh, repo- uh, appointed to oversee the money spent on coronavirus relief, uh, he was the Pentagon inspector general. He was nominated by all the other inspectors general to head up the oversight. The GAO, the Government Accountability Office, calls the legislative branch home and is largely out of the reach of the president. From Politico, quote, by the end of April, at least 30 CARES Act reviews and audits um, are expected to be underway by the GAO, according to interviews with senior investigators. Good, because I'm mad about this PPP thing, and that's just one tiny part of it. I want to know where the rest of the money is going. Topics of these audits will range from the government's handling of coronavirus testing to its distribution of medical, medical equipment and from the nation's food supply to nursing home infections and any missteps in distributing the emergency cash payments. The office's top fraud investigator said it's already received complaints about a check landing in the account of a deceased person. Quote, we're moving forward very quickly, said Angela Nicole Clowers, chief of the GAO's healthcare unit. We're an existing institution and have a lot of institutional knowledge about these programs. It gives us sort of a leg up. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm looking forward to what the GAO has to say. I really am. The GAO, by the way, that's the same entity that put out the letter saying um, that when Trump withheld the Ukraine aid, he was violating the Impoundment Control Act. He was breaking the law. Uh, And now I think they're investigating his withholding of... World Health Organization funding, I think they'll find that to be the same case as that $120 billion was appropriated by Congress already. 60 of it was spent. He wants to withhold the other 60 pending review. Exactly what happened with Ukraine? Not sure how it couldn't be a violation of the Impoundment Control Act. We'll hear from GAO. And Trump can't fire them. They are part of the legislative branch. One of those nice checks and balances that we still have fortunately. We'll be right back to discuss Barr's release of previously classified Inspector General footnotes to benefit Trump. And we're going to talk about that with former Assistant Director of the FBI, Frank Fogluzzi. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. This Helping in Daily Beans is brought to you by Raycon. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, out for a walk, you want to be able to listen to what you want, not what your roommates, neighbors, or your kids are listening to. And everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds started about half the price of the other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands that you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, really rich bass. Uh, more compact design. It gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. And Raycon's wireless earbuds are very comfortable, perfect for conference calls or Zoom calls or binging podcasts. 
Uh, I love my Raycon wireless earbuds. They're super comfy. And since I'm always misplacing earbuds, I have a couple of pairs because they're so cheap. They're so affordable. Unlike other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are stylish and discreet, so there's no dangling wires or those stems that stick out to distract anyone during video calls. You've heard me talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J, and many celebrities like Cardi B and Melissa Etheridge love these. Uh, pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. You get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash dailybeans. That's buyraycon.com slash dailybeans for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining us today to discuss another story that flew under our radar is former FBI assistant director and national security contributor for NBC News. It's Frank Fagluzzi. Frank, thanks for speaking with me today. I'm happy to do it, A.G. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So uh, over the weekend, during a press briefing, Trump attacked the FBI uh, and called everybody who worked uh, on the, I think he was referring to the Russia investigation, uh, human scum. And um, this, you know, I think was prompted by his new uh, director of national intelligence declassifying some footnotes from the D- Department of Justice Inspector General's report on the Carter Page FISA. And I wanted to ask uh, you about the validity of this release or the the circumstances surrounding it. Um, I guess we can start off. Can you remind everybody, first of all, what that, you know, that inspector general's findings, what, what, what happened with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's like we're calling timeout from a global pandemic to talk about why the president of the United States is referring to the FBI in a Corona press conference and referring to them as human scum. So it's worthy of our, Discussion. Um, And I think you're right, A.G., as to the motivation that, you know, we're left to discern because Trump doesn't give us um, the specific reasons why he's talking about anything. But it does appear that he's pointing to this inspector general report long long released, uh, you know, long ago released. We're all familiar with the findings. The ultimate finding being that the IG looked at the origins of the Russia investigation opened by the FBI. This is the one that led to the special counsel. Um, Robert Mueller. Um, And he found, hey, look, uh, found some issues, but the predication was there to open this case. And of course, lo and behold, the investigation ultimately found um, that a couple dozen Russians representing the the Russian government um, messed with our 2016 presidential election and and they got indicted. So a, a worthy investigation properly predicated. Now, um, why are we hearing um, in the last 24 hours, the president of the United States in a corona briefing uh, shouting about FBI scum? His acting DNI, the guy he took from a U.S. ambassador to Germany and planted him as acting DNI, has ordered the declassification of a, of a, of a handful of footnotes that were classified in that IG report. And so we're now seeing right-wing media and Trump apologists pointing to these footnotes as explosive uh, revelations that um, the FBI was all screwed up and that this case should never have been opened and they should have known better. Here's here's the revelations that are claimed in these footnotes. They they point to um, indications that the FBI was aware that some of the information they were dealing with could have been a Russian campaign of disinformation to plant seeds of of falsehoods inside things like the Steele 
dossier, the Christopher Seal dossier. Um, and and to, to have, for example, Carter Page painted as a Russian informant when maybe he was not. And so what you're seeing is a couple of senators, namely Grassley and Johnson, um, and, you're, and, and even the Attorney General of the United States now running around saying, you see this? You see this? The FBI knew that they had bad information. They went forward with a Russian investigation. And the whole thing was an attempt to sabotage the president. Hmm. And and there's this is a sort of a long lead up to this. I mean, we had this. I think it was last year, um, maybe even a year ago, when um, Trump gave Bill Barr the authority to declassify anything he wanted. Um, and then you know we have uh, as this Department of Justice Inspector General report came out with the findings that they did have predicate to open this investigation that led to the appointment of Robert Mueller. Barr came out and has disagreed with that openly. He said he disagreed with those findings. Uh, then, of course, appointed Durham to investigate the investigation and recently commented on the Durham, Durham investigation, uh, which is open and ongoing, which is unprecedented for an attorney general to do. And, you know, we've got these other things like Barr giving himself the only permission or the only, you know, he's the only person who can grant specific permission for anyone to investigate anybody running for president or vice president. Uh, and so we've got all these little pieces coming together. And, and I've noticed that over time, I feel like with the Andy McCabe investigation, they couldn't find anything and eventually had to give it up. They were forced to give it up. And with the Durham thing, they're probably coming up empty handed, can't find anything. The IG came out and said there was a predicate to open this investigation. And so now they're just trying to cherry pick things that look bad because, I mean, is, Carter Page is a red herring, is he not? So I, I want to, this is important. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked about Carter Page because I want to, I, I am no apologist for the FBI if they screw up and, and by the way, screw up being defined as not even following their own rules. So in the Carter page FISA affidavit and subsequent renewals, and for those, your viewers are pretty savvy. They understand what's going on. There was a, there was an electronic wiretap of Carter page. The FBI thought he might be a, a Russian source or have been co-opted or recruited by Russia. So they, the IG found, look, man, you didn't follow your own rules. You, you got, and in at least one case, there's an allegation that a fairly low-level FBI attorney may have actually, you know, made up or changed, altered an email uh, to the to to the benefit of the FISA application on Carter Page. But here's why this is a distraction, other than the fact that the FBI needs to fix its house with regard to to how they do FISA. Because, the, you know, Trump would love us all to believe that the, the, the wiretap of Carter Page was somehow spying on him and his campaign when actually, well before Trump was president of the United States, this guy named Carter Page was on the FBI's radar screen as someone who was doing a dance with Russian intelligence. So he the, the IG found that the, he was a valid target of investigation and... He did not find that the that the FISA court would have changed its mind had they known some of the mistakes that the FBI had made. So, so when you hear things like, um, "My God, Carter Page is a reflection of how the FBI was coming after the president," I'm not buying what 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 that's selling. That that's that's a separate entity for me. So let's look at the IG report footnotes that were just released and let's try to put them in perspective. 
everybody over at Fox News and, and, and certain GOP senators are screaming bloody murder because the footnotes just released seem to indicate that, oh, my God, some of the information the FBI used to open their case might have been disinformation from Russia. Well, I have, I have a revelation of my own for people. If you work counterintelligence, every god darn piece of information that crosses your desk is potential disinformation from some foreign intelligence service. You actually build that into your everyday thinking. And even doing that, the FBI decided, and the IG agreed, that they had a properly predicated case to open on Russia meddling with our election. And as I've said at, now ad nauseum, the the ending was, yeah, Russia messed, the Russian government messed with our uh, 2016 presidential campaign, and we indicted over two dozen Russians. So um, what Trump is trying to say is it, it's the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine, right? Throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you got if you got some things wrong in a FISA on Carter Page, the whole the whole case on me has to go away. If you if you have some footnotes that prove that you knew some of this Chris Steele dossier could be Russian planted disinformation, the whole thing has to go away. That's not how this works, and we need to kind of understand that in the proper context. Last thought on this section is, the why didn't you, you brought this up, why didn't A.G. Barr, who had all kinds of blanket authority to declassify whatever he wanted, why didn't he declassify these mysterious footnotes? Why did we have to see an acting DNI show up and save the day for Trump? Well, great question. Was it that A.G. Barr actually said, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of sensitivity to these remaining footnotes. Well, how the FBI knew that Russia might be planning information, human sources that might have been telling the FBI this. And, oh, by the way, White House, if I bar declassify these remaining footnotes, I really look like your stooge. Can we find somebody else to please do this? And here comes the acting DNI to get that job done. Yeah, Rick Grinnell, total patsy, zero intelligence experience. And, I mean, a couple other considerations here uh, with Carter Page. First of all, Steele said this is raw intelligence that BuzzFeed published. 70 to 80 percent of it, I'd wager, is true, although none of it's really been disproven. Right. And uh, he said, hey, yeah, I was talking to Russians. The FBI put that in the application for the FISA. And the one that was in question with the 17 errors was a renewal, not the initial application. And Rod Rosenstein signed off on it. Anyway, Rod Rosenstein, the land the plane guy, Trump's guy. Uh, it wasn't like Comey signed off on this. Um, uh, and it, it, even if he did, neither here nor there. But you, you know, you you get my point there. But Com Comey's act, Comey has actually publicly um, talked about how um, he was weighing Russian disinformation. There, there, there's a well, there's a well-known story that Comey's told about, you know, without getting into a lot of sensitive detail, that the Russians did did provide a, a complete disinformation to the FBI to just screw things up. And it, it had to do whether Comey could trust um, the attorney general at the time, Loretta Lynch, or not. So this is all in an environment, by the way, you know, it's a typical counterintelligence day at the FBI where, where you've got to understand the adversary's messing with you and you got to, it's your job to wade through that and move forward. Yeah. And all of this aside, like you said, let's say, fine, they shouldn't have had 
uh, a FISA on Carter Page, which the IG found that they should have anyway. And even if it, that you could have left out the entire Steele dossier and they would have granted it. He was arrested in 2013, I think, with a bunch of other Russians, one of whom is in prison. The other are on the lam. I mean, he's got a history of this. And and and. But you're right. He was this was approved in in September. He was no longer working on the campaign. He had been fired from the campaign. And also, he's not in jail. None of this information that we know of, although we haven't seen a lot of it, was even used in it at at all in in the Russia investigation because the Russia Russia investigation started July, August, September, months before. And so I, I don't even I don't even understand and not even and that's just the full on Russia investigation after Alexander Downer from Australia gave us a call and said, hey, heads up. But even even before that, they were still looking at Flynn and Manafort and and Page. I mean, this is it's not I, I mean, I've gone over the timeline with Andy McCabe several times and, and it, it, they just want to keep trying to poke holes in it. And you're right. It's the baby with the bathwater thing. Well, and so where where is this going? And and let's not forget now that footnotes uh, show that, you know, lo and behold, uh, the FBI knew that some of the Christopher Steel stuff might have been planted by Russia. And also another footnote, Russia um, un- un- understood that Christopher Steele was was preparing this dossier, working with the U.S. government. They, they understood that. So, yeah, that's how Russian government works. And by the way, other governments know what everybody's doing, too. So here's where this is going, my prediction. Um, you're going to see Trump use this to pardon some people. He, he's going to say, and you, we saw it in the middle of a Corona press conference. Mm-hmm. These people, these investigators are human scum. You know, wait and see what happens. A reporter tried to ask him, are you going to pardon people? We'll see what happens, he said. So, you know, we're going to see the Durham investigation, this U.S. attorney in Connecticut that's been handpicked by Barr because the I, he just, Barr didn't like the IG's findings. So, hey, I'm going to go shopping for some other investigator. And and you're going to see, that, you know, Barr was asked recently, are you is Durham ever going to issue a report? I don't know. Yeah, well, it was just like he went shopping for a grand jury in the McCabe investigation. A, a, right, that didn't work out well for him. No, it didn't. So, and and Durham, by the way, Durham is Durham's not some monster. He's a straight up lawyer. He's been a career professional, and I think you know if there's problems in the bureau administratively, if if we got to look again at FISA, if we if we if a, if one or two FBI uh, minions need need to be disciplined or even indicted, bring it on. I say. But but you know what's going to happen, AG, is it's going to be strung out for the benefit of the president's reelection. It, it's going to be pulled out of his pocket at just the right time when he's just low enough in the polls that he needs a boost. And we may never ultimately see a report written by Durham. Well, we'll see what happens with uh, Reggie Walton reviewing that unredacted Mueller report today. And then, of course, we got the May 12th Deutsche Bank Mazars uh, hearing, um, which I I believe will go uh, the right way, but you know you're right. I mean they've released a handful of classified footnotes, and who knows there could be classified footnotes that say that these particular th- we knew what the Russian disinfo plant shit was, and we tagged it when we put the FISA application in, and it's all known. I mean, there could be so many things that we don't know, and, and without releasing the entirety of the FISA application, which can never happen. Um, but you know they'll just continue to use it to to their advantage. There's I just don't think there's a way around that. Um, uh, the only the only counterpunch uh, is the truth that we could be getting from 
from some of these SCOTUS cases and, and, and the Mueller report. Who knows? Agreed. Agreed. And I and I sense a I think we're all getting pretty good at sensing desperation in the president's <laughs> posture and, and voice. And I, I I tell you what, when when he went into the human scum uh, uh, mode yesterday, uh, I, I sensed desperation. Um, look, he's down in the polls. Even even his supporters aren't with him on how he's handling Corona. He's worried, I think, about uh, Judge Walton and wh- where this is coming in terms of full release of, of unredacted uh, Mueller report. I, I, I think he's troubled. And um, he is. this is a convenient distraction and we'll continue to see it. Yeah, I think there, you know, the meetings between him and Barr are just like, find me something, anything that, you know, and we've been saying this forever. There was a delay in the IG report coming out, like you said, and it was because the findings weren't the way that they didn't fall the way they wanted them to. There was a delay in the FBI New York field office leaks uh, inspector general report that still hasn't come out. It's a year and a half late. And then, of course, there's there's now a delay that, that I perceive, at least I could be totally wrong in the Durham investigation because they were unable to also, have you know, come up with the findings they want to come up with. And so now it's pick and choose your declassification cherry tree time at, at the, you know, at the DNI with Rick Grinnell. That's what it feels like to me, at least. Yeah, and it's becoming it's become so transparent. I mean, here we are talking about it. We everybody's talking about that Durham is a strategy. This this delay with Durham is it, it, yeah, it's unlikely he has smoking guns. I, I can tell you, I've worked many a complex investigation in my career. It doesn't take this long to to discipline or charge a now former FBI attorney for uh, falsifying an email. Uh, get it bring bring it on and and so you know i something is wrong with this delay and the only thing i can think of is it's going to be conveniently strung out um so that the public can think there's something horrible happening with the deep state in the in the intelligence community and trump has been wronged his base isn't smart enough to follow that anyway. I mean, this 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 falsification of an email was to say that Carter Page was a source for the CIA or say it, he wasn't a source for the CIA uh, and, and et cetera. OK. And, and you know, I mean, we could sit and parse why that's important and how it's separate from this and why we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But at the end of the day, who fucking cares? Because nothing happened to Carter Page. And he's, he's Well, you know, just just as just as I, you know, give to give your listeners some further insight into the murky world of counterintelligence, just as I said earlier that, look, it's just part of everyday life in in CI work to to understand that half of what you're looking at could be planted Similarly, in my dealings over the years with the agency, the CIA, let me tell you, um, the semantic, uh, the semantic uh, slicing that goes on on whether or not they're going to say someone is a source, an asset, a, a, an agent, um, yes, no, he was not paid, so he's really not working for us. Right back, I've gone back and forth and back and forth. So it's possible that this confusion on this email is nothing more than this poor attorney at the bureau trying to go. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Is he? I, no, no, he's not a source. No, he is a source. No, he wasn't paid. No, the agency won't admit it. And this has happened numerous times in my career. Yeah, and it could have been as simple as, you know, he flipped and turned on some of the Russians he got caught palling around with in 2013. And, oh, is he a source now? And, oh, am I using the right semantics or the wrong semantics? But you're right. If if they had something on this lawyer, this low-level lawyer, they would be 
already indicted. Well, you've, you've actually raised another point, which is that sources go bad on you all the time. And and they they, they, work, they double up, they triple double on you. And so I saw, I saw Sean Hannity on Fox interviewing Carter Page and praising him that, that, that now the truth is out that you were actually working for the U.S. intelligence community. God bless you. Everyone had had you wrong. My response to that is, no, I've had, I've had plenty of sources who were faking it. God bless you, Sammy the Bull. What an incredible man you are. God bless you for your work with the United States federal agencies. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much. We went a little bit over time. I hope you don't mind. Uh, we were we were in a spirit of discussion, uh, and I appreciate you coming on, joining us today. Uh, everybody, former FBI assistant director, national security contributor for NBC. Thank you, Frank Fogluzzi. We love having you on. Stay well. Keep up the good work. You too. Take care of yourself and, and yours. We'll be right back after this break with the good news block, so stick around. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Beachbody On Demand. Right now we're all stuck at home, can't go to the gym, and it's important to avoid complacency. And it's I like to stay active, and you can work out and even take classes in the comfort of your own home with Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to over 1,300 effective workouts suited for any body at any time. Beachbody On Demand is the best streaming workout platform. They're the company behind P90X, Insanity, and 21 Day Fix. Uh, check out some of Beachbody's newest programs like Morning Meltdown 100 and 80 Day Obsession and start every day strong. Uh, I start my day with some meditation and, and mindfulness exercises from Beachbody On Demand. I feel stronger and more ready to tackle the day before I've even had my first cup of coffee. And with Beachbody On Demand, you'll get motivated by celebrity super trainers and have access to hundreds of effective workouts for all fitness levels. You could there's Some of them are weight training, cardio, plyo, yoga, dance workouts, HIIT. And you can exercise on your schedule with workouts as short as 10 minutes that don't require any extra equipment. So in the time it takes you to drive and park at the gym, you could be finished working out. Access it anywhere, anytime, on the computer, a tablet, smartphone, or more. It is the best deal in fitness. And listeners of The Daily Beans can try it absolutely free. Right now, our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text Daily Beans to 303030. You will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, and support totally free. Again, just text Daily Beans to 303030. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks again to to Frank Fogluzzi for spending so much time on the phone with me. I thought it was a really great interview. I like that so much. I'm going to re-air it on Mueller She Wrote this weekend. So if you want to hear it twice, you're going to get to. So lucky you. Um, but despite all of the news that came out today, we do have a lot of good news. And joining me today to help deliver the good news is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hello, I am well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Sweet. It is 420. So that is a great day. I was just watching Harold and Kumar, appropriately. <laughs> yeah. The, for those of us who don't smoke weed, it's just another day to have a vodka tonic, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yes, my mom called me. She was on Bloody Marys. And uh, I'm like, that's the wrong holiday. There's no there's no holiday for alcoholics, is there? Also, I shouldn't say alcoholics. People who drink alcohol. Um St. Patrick's Day? Yes, that's true. Oh, God, that's so true. She gets shitty, doesn't it? I suppose Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Actually, every other holiday is for booze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the most booze is probably consumed on Christmas, either Christmas or Easter, whenever we're all confronted most by our past lives, you know? I, mm -hmm. think, uh... I don't know. St. Patrick's Day and New Year's Eve are pretty good contenders. Oh, God, that's so true. Yeah, especially New Year's Eve. My God. 
How fun will that be this year? I don't know. It depends on if we're inside or not. <laughs> That's true. I was just totally projecting that we'll have some sort of normalcy by then, hopefully. At least maybe a get-together of 10 people or something. Yeah, we may be able to have gatherings of fewer than 10, uh, but I honestly don't know. We could be in the middle of a second wave. Um, that's terrible and we have to and you know we might even have harder harsher restrictions than we have now there's no way of knowing because we have a very unpredictable government and no plan so yay that is true but we do have good news in despite of all yes. that <laughs> yes we do have good news despite every despite that um, but before we get to the listener good news and our quarantine confessions I do have a little schadenfreude for you schadenfreude Okay, so this is a t- a kind of attached to a previous story I went over um, with the oil prices tanking today. Um, and I just felt like this should go in the schadenfreude block because uh, on Monday, Halliburton, uh, which provides equipment and services to energy companies, gave an early indication of the damage being sustained by the industry when it reported a $1 billion loss in the first quarter compared with the net income of $152 million in the same period a year earlier. So, aw, Halliburton, how sad. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like, a, like Dick Cheney's homies? Yep, that's a Dick Cheney joint. That's who yeah, a lot of people posited that the whole reason we destroyed Iraq was so that Halliburton could rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's our schadenfreude today, so... Nice. Boo-hoo for Halliburton. <laughs> Boo-hoo for Halliburton. Have? That sounds like a like an 18th century poem or something. Boo-hoo yeah, or for some Halliburton. weird Broadway play. <laughs> yes, much some better weird. as a Broadway play. Boo-hoo for Halliburton. Everybody's coming today. Yeah, you know, or whatever. I'm so sad. It's just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I shot someone in the face today and... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Boo-hoo for Halliburton. <laughs> I think this... <laughs> this this will exist somewhere in 10 years um there's definitely right. top hats and canes <laughs> yes. involved <laughs> boohoo for halliburton it's like springtime for hitler or, <laughs> or, or it reminds me of that bye bye blackbird or birdie or whatever mm-hmm. that was from that lady in the 60s i can't remember i just only remember it from mad men oh. <laughs> so good all right <clears throat> beautiful Okay, listener good news block. First up from Tiffany, I live in Maryland under Governor Hogan. Hogan is a Republican, but he isn't an asshole. He has been leading all the calls with the other governors, and I think doing a pretty good job of it. His press conference, his press conferences have reliably been informative, serious, and encouraging. I would encourage you to watch a couple of his press conferences on YouTube to see what I mean. At this time of needed national unity... We need to do all we can to not lump the good Republicans in with the bad ones. Thank you for continually bringing me the news in a manageable way. Cool. That's yeah. nice. Very good news. I, it just popped into my head. It was Anne Margaret with Bye Bye Birdie. Oh. So, um, <laughs> I appreciate that. And, it, and she had that weird voice. Bye Bye Birdie. It was just weird. It was Terrifying. just freaky. <laughs> That's Boohoo Halliburton. We need Anne Margaret oh, to do Boohoo Halliburton. That's so funny. Um, anyway, Maryland, yes, yes, excellent, and and I hope we're doing a good job at not lumping all Republicans into the same uh, group, especially in the COVID response, because I know like 
Um, you know, Marilyn DeWine from Ohio has been doing an excellent job. Hogan, like you just said. I mean, there's a lot out that yeah. I can name, too, off the top of my head. But there are quite a few who are doing the right thing. But then we have somebody like Kemp who's going to open up everything, to like gyms and beaches and hair salons and shit tomorrow. And mm-hmm. um, Jacksonville mayor is DeSantis is the governor down in Florida. They just opened up some beaches. Um, and, but, you know. Yeah. Good job to the people who are doing a good job. We'll, yeah. we'll definitely work to try to recognize those folks. Maybe to get Republicans to like come over more to the Democrat side, just in terms of at least wanting to be lumped in with us during this whole fiasco. We could stage, you know, at the end of a marathon when everybody holds the ribbon and then they get to like cross the finish line and everyone's cheering and they and they break the sash and it's a whole to do and confetti falls. Maybe we can like recreate that for congressional Republicans. That would be, uh, mm. you know, give them something to feel good about, you know, like there's a celebration yeah. yep. waiting for them on the other end. I feel like we need these kinds of tactics. Yeah. Confetti cannons for congressional Republicans. Exactly. That will will blow it right up their ass. Just come over to this side. Triple CR. It's, it's triple CR dot org. <laughs> Confetti cannons <laughs> for congressional Republicans dot org. Uh, we're going to raise money to buy, to <laughs> to shoot confetti cannons at Republicans who do the right thing. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I like it. As soon as we're allowed to gather again, I'll start work on that festival. Um, okay. It'll be like a baptism for people that would like to be reborn into a new political party. That sounds so fun. Maybe, yeah, we should make <laughs> it more of an event. And then it'll be like, it'll be like, a, you know, like a bar mitzvah or something. <laughs> and it could be a whole thing to celebrate. And then people will be more inclined. I don't know. This isn't based on any real social theory here. So who knows? Um, all right. From Carrie. Spelled K-E-R-I. That's a cool way to spell Carrie. My neighbor set up a sound system yesterday evening and played guitar and sang for the neighborhood for about two hours. We all hung out in our yards and enjoyed the show. When he finished. Oh, wait. Didn't we, we have this we, one Yes, yesterday? we did. We did have this one yesterday. Hmm. Mm. Sorry. Well, anyway... I'll just keep going. Why not? If you didn't hear yesterday's. When he it's finished. It's still good news. It is still good news. It, you know. I was just like, this is very familiar. Are there two men who are playing for neighborhoods? I'm sure there are. That's conceivable. But this is the exact same words from yesterday. <laughs> when we finished, the entire neighborhood broke into applause and cheers. It was a fantastic way to end a long week. Uh, there you go. Twice as nice. The second time. Uh, next, from Erica. I was able to raise over $1,000 today with the help of some seriously seriously generous people for Project Hashtag Feed the Frontline Sack. We will be delivering 63 packs of tacos, 65 burritos, and 50 enchilada boxes to medical teams this week in Sacramento. That's really cool. Wow, good. I have a friend from childhood who's a nurse, and they she they got a food delivery, and I read her post about it, and she just talked about, like, all the reasons why donating food to them is actually so incredibly helpful because it's like they hardly get any breaks at all. And when they do get a break, they're like shoving a ham sandwich in their face or something, you know, or maybe they didn't even have the time to make food at home and they're like eating from vending machines or something. So it's um that's really nice to do for them. All right. Next is from Casey. Uh, Casey says, good news. My nearly 17 year old son came to me back in January to tell me he had been having depression issues. He has already made an action plan and didn't feel like it was necessary to seek outside help. As a mom, you never know if what you're saying gets through or not, but I've talked to him openly about my struggles with depression and anxiety in the past. 
Fast forward, we checked in about a month after the January discussion, and his action plan was working. Now during the pandemic, it's been clear that his depression is setting back in. But he came to me again, he told me. He had made an appointment with his guidance counselor. We also talked to my sister together, who is a school psychologist. It's all very scary right now and my heart breaks for him, but you know what? It's huge that a 17-year-old boy can say out loud, I have mental health issues, mom, and I need help. I am proud. Very cool. That is really, that is a very, very mature thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Especially just with the masculinity men are supposed to constantly, you know, be wearing and to us as a society masculinity means not talking about that stuff and that's that's what it means to a lot of people just being strong in general is to to not talk about it but you're absolutely right it is very strong to talk about it and a lot uh better of an outcome typically so heck yes go casey and go casey's son uh finally for good news we have from anonymous today i am six months sober badass Awesome. That is so awesome. Awesome. And 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 congratulations for being able to maintain that during the lockdown. I know I know that has to probably be hard. Definitely. Yeah. A lot of strength to you. Keep it up. Killing it. All right, that's our good news. Next we got our quarantine confession segment. Got a few of those. Thank you for sending those in. Tweet them at us at Daily Beans Pod on Twitter. First up from Jan. Jan says, Most days I wear my nighttime pajamas until about four PM. <laughs> I love that. And then do you switch into day Nighttime pajamas? Nighttime pajamas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Nighttime pajamas. Well, so you know. Funny. I feel that too. At 4 p.m., what's even the point of pants? Yeah, right. What's the point of pants at all, really? I mean, uh, once every week or two, I you know, I, I had to I have to go out into the world to get stuff from the store. But, I mean, staying at home, it's jammies all the time. It's jammy yeah, time. I agree. All the time. Jammy, jammy time. Uh, All right, next up from Danielle. My husband recently set up our home gym downstairs in the family room. We have yoga mats, a stationary bike, and also a weight bench. However, since our new smart TV is upstairs and we keep finding good movies to watch, I literally haven't used this once. (laughs) That's funny. That's amazing. Yeah, my treadmill arrives tomorrow, and I'm already having a funeral for it. Ooh, treadmill. Nice. What kind did you get? Um, I got the, well, Bowflex does a really, really good discount, military discount um, for military and veterans. So I went with theirs and they have free shipping on it too. And it's a heavy thing. Hell yeah. Uh, and it's got the full heart rate monitor. It's like a full on gym style treadmill. And I, you know, I, I, you know, before this all happened, I was going to Orange Theory and, you know, running a good 30 minutes a day and, um, they closed down the park where I ran. They closed that path down, and all that's left is to run on the streets. And as you know, San Diego streets are not safe to run on, not because of you know crazy crime or anything, but just because we have potholes. Yes, like it's like like we like it snows here and we salt the roads. It's that bad, uh, and I I can't figure out why we get rain once every ten years, and then and we get like no snow, and I don't understand why the, why the roads mm-hmm. are so bad, but they are, and. There's also, I've noticed a lot of other people out jogging, and I know when you're jogging, you do slough a lot of virus if you have it, and you shake it around, and it goes, it travels much further than it would um, if you were just walking. And then, of course, generally people who are jogging can't wear a mask because you need oxygen, you have to breathe. Mm -hmm. So it just didn't seem like the safest option, Um, so I opted for the treadmill. Nice. Good call. That's going to be fun. That'll be nice to just have in general, even when all of this is over. 
Yeah. Um. All right. Next up from David. I've been working from home since the start of March. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been spending between five and ten hours a week playing video games and browsing sites I would not bring up from work and generally completely slacking off. If it helps, I have also not been writing my employees about work time, schedules, productivity, and have been instead focused on how they are holding up during the lockdown and how they and their families are doing, plus pushing each of them to learn and grow in this time. We can't force productivity. That is the best mm-hmm. boss mentality. I love that. Yep. I love that so much, especially right now when people are already like struggling just with staying at home and stuff. That just, it never feels good to have people hovering over you, let alone when you're already struggling so much. It's like, just get the fuck off my back, dude. Okay? I'm figuring out my life. All right? I'll get the shit done. I'll do it. <laughs> and if I don't, then sorry. <laughs> I guess there's other ways to handle that as an issue but i really appreciate i appreciate that approach very much agreed yes finally from courtney i recently made brownies with my two-year-old daughter after we poured the batter into the pan to bake i hid behind the counter so she couldn't see me while i ate the remaining batter from the bowl without her i don't care that she's only two i'm not sharing to add another layer of shame i'm also pregnant and the batter had raw eggs which i'm not supposed to eat zero fucks given right now (laughs) You can't have raw eggs? I didn't even know that. I didn't know that either. That's interesting. That's so funny, though. I feel like the fact that you're pregnant definitely gives you a pass on the whole hoarding of the batter. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think it's only to be expected, really. Yeah, in fact, I think it's it should be a reward. I, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be mandatory. Yes, I agree. I agree right, 1,000%. Yes, it should be mandatory. Cake batter for everybody. You know, I think they actually make cookie dough and cake batter flavored like desserts that don't have raw eggs in them. I believe I've seen that on Shark Tank. So something for you to look up, maybe. Uh, all right. Yes, that is our quarantine confessions in our good news block. Love it. I'm still, my mind is still blown by the no raw eggs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew about, I knew about sushi and I knew about not cleaning out cat boxes Interesting. I had no idea about no raw eggs. Yeah, I guess it's just due to the risk of salmonella. Yeah. And I suppose once you once you cook the batter, it's okay because they're no longer raw eggs, right? Yes. Okay. Apparently, there's been a major reduction in this risk since 2001. So that's good. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that because I, I know that like my ex wouldn't allow me to cook him pork medium rare because he just didn't believe that the standards had changed that it was okay now to have it that way you know Mm -hmm. um and that you had to cook it all the way through Mm -hmm. um maybe that's one of those situations i don't know you know what though i mean better safe than sorry yeah why not either way for this one one time we say you're good (laughs) it's fine well all right that's all i got well good that's um and i only had the one boohoo halliburton shot of freud schadenfreude for you so um that that wraps up our good news segment and our our quarantine confessions again uh like jordan said if you have them just tweet tweet them at us or send them to us um by you, you can connect through our website which is what dailybeanspod.com or com. you can mm-hmm. just google us you'll find us we're, we're not hard to find we aren't hidden um and and click contact and send us send us your confessions and your good news stories we love to hear them and thank you uh, and and you can also send us if you have bad like 
things you're concerned about or if you just need to talk, you know, or if you need someone to vent to, please just reach out, contact us. We're here. That's what we, that's what, uh, that's what we're here for. Um, other than that, any other final thoughts, Jordan? Uh, no, I don't think so. We, we'll see you tomorrow. Yep. We'll be here doing the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, Man, I I love I like seriously that that Frank Fagluzzi interview was so great. I can't wait for you to hear it, Jordan. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I spoke to him for like 20 minutes today. He was feisty. I like feisty Frank Fagluzzi. <laughs> well, everybody, um, please again contact us if you need us. Everyone, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Ag. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>